Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Arricchio. And we are the Movie Nights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this, it's because you want to hear our uncensored... Unfiltered. ...thoughts and opinions about the world of movies and entertainment news, so kick back... Relax. And thank you for being part of the conversation. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We got a hell of a show lined up today. We got a we got a big show coming at we you. We got so. so many news stories, and we have an exclusive interview with Shika Bakari and Paolo, two stars of the upcoming TV series Riptides that yes. I may or may not be involved with. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Ooh, yes. Ooh. And um, that interview is actually incredible. I love those guys so much, and we're going to play that interview right now. So enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, with us we have Shrika Bakari and Paolo. Say hello, guys. What's up? Hey, what's up? How y'all doing? <laughs> awesome, awesome. So do me a favor and just kind of give brief introductions to yourselves, to, you know, your guys' background and to filmmaking and art in general, and just kind of, you know, give the audience a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Okay. Well... Hey everybody, I'm Shariko Bakari. I am uh, one of the main stars of the upcoming drama TV series, Riptides. I've been in filmmaking for about, mm, since 2015, uh, but dived into it professionally in 2018. And I am um, super, super, super excited to be here to tell you guys a little bit about the drama series that's been five years in the freaking making. Since 2017, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's a true-based uh, drama series centered around uh, my college uh, life, my experiences, and even some after college, too. So super excited to be here with y'all. <laughs> hey, what's up? Um, I go by the name of Paolo. Um, I do music. I'm an R&B and hip-hop artist. Also, I will be playing the role of December Miles in the new upcoming drama um, TV series, which is Riptides, along with Mr. Shriko. Um, and I'm actually really excited to get into a couple of things with you guys. Um, and I hope you guys are ready for the juice. Oh, oh, we're we're so ready for juice. We have all we we're Absolutely. like it's all the juice. We're 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 ready. <laughs> Half the time we don't even do news stories. It's just gossip. It's just gossip and yeah. juice. Yeah. Yep, that's, that's it. That's all it is. That's yep. all it is. Yep. 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 So uh, first and foremost, I gotta say, I may or may not be involved in the series to some extent, and uh, because of that, I signed NDAs that Nick knows absolutely nothing, and we we hang out more than once a week. Yeah. Knows, I mean, we talk every day. Let's knows, be... knows nothing about the series. And it's perfect because now he can ask you all the basic questions. I can ask you really personal, in-depth questions. And then the audience thinks, and, see, and it's perfect because then the audience thinks that Nick is stupid. And that's what we're, that's what we're here to accomplish. That's and exactly do. it. Yep. 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 So, uh, Nick, go ahead and fire a couple questions their way, good sir. All right. So, here's what I know. There's a drama series called Riptides. <laughs> uh, Dalton may or may not be involved in it, and I assume talking with you two, you both are involved in it. <laughs> so I guess for the people like me and everyone else, if you could just say just a general plot, not plot description, but what what's your pitch on the show? How would you describe it? What's the main kind of story to it? Okay, well, this, like I said beforehand, this drama series is a drama series inspired by true events. Um, it's based around the um, college adventures that I've experienced, uh, the 
parties, adversities, relationships, friendships, um, and a few unexpected things in between, a few plot twists here and there that I cannot discuss right now. But everything literally about the show is pretty much myself. And um, it took me a while to become comfortable to want to tell um, my life story and, 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 you know, pretty much try to help as many people as possible that have went through these things, you know, in an entertainment form, of course. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the best way I can really put it without giving away too much and without going into some detail. So, um, but yeah, my producer, uh, Ashley Chanel, she's been with me on this in development since 2017. And um, at first it was a drama series that was 10% truth and, you know, 90% entertainment uh, because I was really, really terrified to um, pour a lot of truth out there um, pertaining to myself and having pretty much the curtain lifted over a lot of things that I've experienced or a lot of things that I've done. And um, years later, um, this July, I decided to throw away five years worth of hard work and start over and do it the right way and make it 100% true and real. And I gained the confidence by doing that because I lived you know, the past four years through some different things. And I said, you know what, I can do this. And I can play the main role, which is based off of myself. There was someone else that was going to play uh, the role of, of you know, of, of myself. But um, my producer convinced me um, and I said yes. And I think it's the best acting decision I've ever made in my life. Because like she said, no one can tell your truth better than you can. So <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, and when you said that it's it's five years in the making, is that just having worked on it to get it to this point for five years? Have there been certain just hurdles through that? Or is it kind of just working through the revisions of the kind of the 10% to the 100%? Man, everything. Everything? Every single thing that you've mentioned and beyond that. Um, just going through the process of actually living life and experiencing certain things and um, jumping over hurdles with um, different people, experiencing different adversities um, with people as well pertaining to the project, um, going through three to four different full cast members, um, just the production team, the story, um, the people in general um, that were just not right for this. Um, I'm glad I went through that. I'm glad those four years uh, put me through those adversity realms, if that makes sense. This is going to be something that no one's ever seen on television before. And I'm proud of myself for experiencing those things. And um, I'm proud of myself for getting over those things and not giving up. And um, yeah, man, from writing to cast members to production team, it's been hell on wheels. Like, I shit you not, it's been hell on wheels. But I wouldn't have wanted to go through that any other way because it brought me to the team that I have now and it brought me to the cast members that I have now. And I'm glad I did because they are perfect. 
they're perfect for this. And hell, I didn't even realize I was perfect for it until recently. So there's that. <laughs> and, and now, do you have prior acting experience or was it kind of the decision of just no one could be me but me? sort of through that no i do have uh prior acting experience i've been acting since i was about i want to say probably five or six years old um starting off in theater of course like any other um actor from the ground up you know i started a lot in do doing a lot of theater productions doing a lot of music uh, theater musicals and then uh by the time i hit uh college that's when i started to dive into film and um but yeah i've been acting for a very long time but um I think this style of acting that I'm doing now, um, even though it's based on the true story of the things that I went through, you know, it still requires myself to be a different character. Although this character is based on who I am and things of that nature, it's still a totally different character. You know, it's not me. I have to really put in a lot of hard work. So the five years that I've put into this character, um, it's really shown in. I'm just really proud of myself for uh, deciding to do this because <laughs> I almost did it. Yeah, the, hey, I told you, he knew absolutely nothing. I was not messing around. Not messing around. Hey, if, if there was ever a question, if yeah. there was ever a question of like, you think he takes those NDA seriously? Fucking you bet. I swear to God. Yeah, I got it. It was, it was so, I took it to law. It was amazing. But uh, I, I was lucky I got the title out of him. <laughs> no, no, but uh, but uh, I I have a question for uh, Paolo, um, because you when I came onto the project, you were already a part of it, and it seemed like you had been a part of it. So I'm curious, at what point did you join this project, and how did that process happen? Like, how did you know? How were you approached? You know, give me give me the magic behind you joining Riptides. Um, so. I've been knowing um, Shrikro for a very, very long time. Um, <laughs> and it just so happened, you know, God put him, you know, put me on his heart. And he he hit me up one day and was just like, I got this show, you know, I'm working on and everything. And I think you'll be a really good fit and, you know, so forth and so forth. And I, you know, went to rehearsals. We did it, you know, went over a couple lines and everything. And I just really like loved the script like it it was everything, you know, like different from what you're not, you're not seeing now. And a lot of people don't talk about, and I just, I couldn't wait to like be a part of the cast, but I started, I want to say in March, if I'm not mistaken, um, really getting the grasp of everything and like getting, you know, into my character and stuff. So. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I'm going to throw a question at uh, Shriko now, you know, obviously the story is very personal to you and it's, you know, based off experiences that you personally had. Um, I find that a lot of filmmakers, a lot of storytellers, when they tell stories while there's aspects of personal stuff in them, they tend to also not go fully on personal because, you know, that it still belongs to them at that point. And when you put something out into the world, it now belongs to the audience. So I, I'm curious as to your decision behind, you know, taking something so personal to you, like your experiences, like the things you've gone through, and now saying, I, I want to share this with people i want to share this with you you know what what was that process like in your mind well it didn't happen until i got picked up for a new lgbtqia drama series out of uh, st petersburg florida in may of this year 
And I went into production with that um, in June of this year. And uh, I want to say it was June the 28th through the 30th um, that I was down there in production for it. And it wasn't until I was on set with that production and I saw what I was capable of acting wise. Um, that was the best performance I've ever put on in my entire life. And that was my first set experience in years because I've been so focused on my own stuff, you know? And after watching that and watching my emotions and how I channeled a lot of things that I went through prior to me going on that trip, um, I said to myself, it is time for me to stop people pleasing. It's time for me to stop hiding behind the sheet that I've been hiding behind. And it's time for me to really let people know what people like myself go through on a daily basis. And you just never know that can help somebody from killing themselves, you know? Not only that, that could give somebody the strength to leave their uh, toxic friendship or toxic relationship or toxic family members and things of that nature. You know, it, it's, it's, it's more than just myself. But I did tell myself, I said, okay, if you do this, if you tell your story 100% true, it is going to be the best decision of your entire life. And a lot of people would say, oh, you're brave. Oh, you're bold. It couldn't be me. Or, oh, goodness gracious, I don't see how you can do it. No, they say that because they wouldn't be able to do it. You know what I'm saying? People say things like that when they are not capable of doing what I'm doing. And I'm truly proud of myself for even considering changing everything from a 10% truth to a 90% truth. You know what I'm saying? And I've had different, I went back and forth with myself a lot before making the decision because I was thinking about family members. Then I was thinking about uh, prior people I used to talk to, people I used to date, people that I no longer speak with, um, people that I talk to now, you know, what are they going to think? And I had to really stop myself and be like, who gives a fuck what these people think? You know, they didn't go through this. I didn't. And it's either two things that you can do. You can support and watch and watch this thing grow into a modern day phenomenon and into big ass fucking dollar signs. Or you cannot. Simple as that. You know, I learned not to be afraid of other people if that makes sense. The only person I need to fear is God himself. And if you're not God, then you might as well back the hell up because I don't have shit for you and I'm not scared of you. I can care, care less about an opinion. I can care less about your thoughts. It doesn't matter because my story is going to not only change the way television stories are told, but it's also going to change a lot of people and how they view people who are myself how they mm -hmm. view people who go through the things that you're going to see in this show 
you know, I don't hold any punches at all. I'm starting major conversations when it comes to sexual orientation, when it comes to race, when it comes to uh, drug abuse, drug addiction, when it comes to suicide, when it comes to uh, toxic friendships and people don't believe toxic friendships exist. They do. It's not just to toxic relationships. Toxic friendships are a big deal and we don't talk about that enough. When it comes to your mental health, when it comes to family trauma, when it comes to trauma within your past relationships and whatnot. And I've been through a hell of a lot of those. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to do it from the heart. And I'm not going to care what other people think. You know, if I had half the confidence that Shariko has, I'd look like Chris Evans. No, but uh, but in all seriousness, you know that was beautiful, man. And uh, it there's no lack of passion for this project. Oh no, no, and and and, and I gotta say, from being just talking to you, Nick, from being yeah. a part of the pro project, and we say all the time, like making film, you know, passion yeah. and creativity, and like when people are enjoying themselves making something, that bleeds through the screen. Like mm -hmm. you can tell through that wall that like what's there and what's not, and every rehearsal i've been to every time i've flipped a page of the script that passion does bleed through hmm. and that's you know why i think the show is so exciting especially coming from shriko and paulo and everybody else involved and um something else that i wanted to kind of throw towards both of you um obviously you know it's based on true events but you also created these really complex unique and dynamic characters and so you know i'll start with you paulo like when you approach this character why not why how did you how were you able to latch on to this character like like what was the thing that made you kind of go like this is this is where i got it i got it now uh, also before you before you answer sorry can you also provide some background as to your character's role in the story as a whole or is that i, under... I, I told you he knows nothing <laughs> Well, even if I did, even the audience, like <laughs> hey, our, the saying. people tuning in, yeah. I'm just you could, saying. If, that's, if you're allowed to disclose that sort of information, I think it'd be interesting see, to also see, know what he tries. it is. He tries to get the NDA out of you. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. We'll get it. No. Yeah. No, but but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Um. So I would start off by saying that my character is basically really creative, um, loving, you know, just different. He, he loves really hard, you know, he, he's trying to basically please, you know, somebody and, you know, be there for someone and, you know, show all these emotions. It's, it's just a lot with him. And um, the way I feel like I latch on to him a lot is because of like experiences that I may have been through in life. Um, I see a lot of that in, in December. Um, and it's, it's really scary when you're like doing, you know, certain things and you're like touching base with your character and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm reliving something like that's, that's what it feels like when I'm, when I'm like reading my lines and doing certain things, it feels like I'm going through past trauma or something like that, like just being that character. Um, and I think that's the best way I, I get with December because he he's this creative person. He's, he's very, he's very different from the world. Like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people are going to relate to him once they see him and get to know him um, and just like feeding off of each other's energy as well. Like, I feel like that's a big part of um, being able to tap and latch into your character as well, because you're, you're going off of who you're, you know, conversating with and 
basically reading with and every feeling everybody emotions during rehearsal is just like ah oh, like you know so I, I just love him I just I can't wait for everybody to see him <laughs> uh, amazing and uh Shriko you know you've mentioned before that you know you really love this cast that you brought together and you're really excited about working with them you know how hard or easy or just you know unique was it bringing this you know band of people together and how you know was it challenging or like you know what you know were there certain moments where you were unsure about something and then something clicked with you like ah yes this is this is the person who's made for this role the simplest answer i can give to that is in the past i chose who i wanted i chose who i thought i wanted i chose who i thought would uh, <clears throat> be a great asset, whether it came to, down to their looks or um, their physique or their acting abilities or the color of their hair, color of their eyes. Um, you know, I'm very detailed when it comes to that within characters and whatnot. And then I noticed I started to uh, have a lot of adversities with uh, certain people that I chose. And so when I took a break in 2020, uh, when the pandemic started with this COVID-19 shit, um, I actually took two years, 2020 and 2021, and started back again in 2022. I noticed and realized that I talk about God so much, I didn't have God involved in the beginning process. I didn't have him in the process from casting this to helping me write this to guiding me and anybody who knows me knows I'm very spiritual I'm a very spiritual person I, I thank God for everything I don't do thing anything without him or without his consent now um, I had to grow into that type of uh, spiritual upgrade if that makes sense but that was my mistake and so I can't blame other people for how they are because I didn't fully screen them and I didn't ask God about them. I just chose them because I wanted to. So this time around, I wanted to take a different approach when God came to me during my car accident and I was recovering. He said, you need to pick this back up. It's time to do it. I said, okay. And I said, Lord, well, if you want me to do this, then I want you to be the head of everything. I want you to be the head and the tail and the center. I'm just here for you to direct me on what to do. And I said, I don't want to choose any cast members. I don't want to pick anybody because they look nice or they sound nice or they're great or this and that and the third. I want to have people that you bring to me that is going to be a great asset to the team, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, um, work-wise, business-wise and everything in between. And he did. And it was the smoothest thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. I have not had one problem with the cast that I have now. I've not had one issue, one anything wrong, if I'm being completely honest. And it seems so surreal because you go through all of those things the past four or five years, and then you get to now and everything's smooth and it's like, whoa, is this really happening? Is this for real, for real? Like, are these the right people? Are they truly? And then you have to get out of your head and say, you know, well, you've done the work. You know, you've done the work. You're very passionate about what you're doing. You have people that finally believe in you. That was another thing. The people I had before, they pretended to believe in me. 
You know, they wore a facade. And then when I pulled that facade off of their face, that's when a lot of people started fleeing or leaving, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, they'll they'll probably say, no, we always believe in you. No, I know what my spirit is telling me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and, and some people, not all the people that I've worked with in the past, you know, some people just, it just didn't fit their schedule any longer. And they hung on as long as they could, but they had other things that they needed to take care of, which I'm not gonna pull you from. You do what you need to do, but this is still gonna keep going. So when I finally got the right people in March, I was really excited about it, but something still kind of seemed a little off, if that makes sense. However, um, as time progressed, um, the few people that fell off did, and I didn't have to lift one finger for it. I think it was about maybe one, two, three, four, about four, four people that fell off. That was a part of this since March of 2022. And they fell off for a reason. Um, they made those choices from their actions and um, God had to show me. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of how professionally, um, business-wise I handled it. And um, you know, I wish them well. I hope that they're doing okay, but uh, they will not be a part of this or anything else that I do from here to the end of time. Um, because my grandma always told me, once somebody show you who they are the first time, zebra's not gonna change the stripes even when it's dead. So you gotta believe what they show you. You know what I'm saying? Regardless. And um, unless God gives you the okay to go back and rekindle that. But um, man, it's been rough, but we finally got the perfect people. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Dude, what an answer. What you know, an I, answer, yeah. I love when like, you know, we ask questions and we kind of sit here and hope like, please God say something very cool and interesting. And like, and, and it happens. And like, but that, that was like, you know, I could literally probably ask Shrika. I could be like, what is a rock? And Shrika would go into this whole thing of like, you know what a rock is? A rock is love. And he would just dive into like this whole beautiful s <laughs> story. And it's amazing, you know. I love it. I love it. But uh, in all seriousness, though, um, you know, you pouring your heart out not only on this project, which I've seen personally, but just in this interview, and, and you know, and when talking about it, you can tell you love it. You can tell you're passionate about it, and most importantly, you can tell it's gonna be great. And I think that is. I'm so excited. I'm so excited just to see it, like as a fan. You know, <laughs> like I'm I'm involved in this, and I'm like, ooh what's going to happen next? Like, I'm just like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I can't wait. The twists, the turns. Yes, the twists, yeah. the turns, the everything, everywhere. It's just, it's going to be so, so awesome. And um, something that I will say about the show is um, the opening credits of the show. They they have a uh, the feel of that opening credits. It really just, without, you know, directly telling the audience, without, like, really spoon-feeding the audience, it just gives you that feeling of what the feel and vibe of the show is going to be. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing opening credit sequence, and you were gracious enough to uh, let us premiere the opening credit sequence on the show exclusive. Yeah. Nick, we got a Movie Nights exclusive. We got another Movie Nights exclusive. Yes, and, you guys are the um, first to see this and the first to premiere this. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, and I'm going to do that right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the opening credit sequence for the upcoming drama series, Riptides.
worth to the digit. I swear I've been down like a midget. I was racing the field, not the kitchen. I'm a quarterback, know your position. Sometimes I am stuck in my vision. Sometimes I might feel like a prison. I might need a bag like it's Christmas. So got bad bitches on my wish list. Little bitches, it's a Simpson. Got a red phone, shiny crimson. Hug niggas, show a mission. Please do not fuck with my henchmen. I am in it to the finish. She don't want square for a pigeon. I put my name in the Guinness. Young nigga on the mission, on the mission. Hey, young nigga on the mission. Hey, young nigga on the mission. I ain't nobody believe me. I ain't nobody believe me. I ain't nobody believe me. So yes, that was the amazing opening credits sequence. So excited. Uh, we got a few more questions here, and yeah. then we will wrap it up. Nick, I'm going to let you go first. Yes. Uh, which of you two was that dancing? <laughs> Why does everybody keep thinking it's me dancing? No, that is not Harley crap. No, it, that is not me, okay? Please. Ever since people have seen this or like, you know, I show it to people like, hey, give me your thoughts. What do you feel about this? They're like, oh my gosh, you have some really good moves. That's not me. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. Because like, I've seen you dance before. That's you. No. So that is one of my good friends um, in Atlanta, Isaiah Given. Um, he's, I've known him for a very long time, uh, since about 2016, 17. And, um, you know, he, when I met him, he was actually an up and coming uh, dancer um, at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia. But um, time progressed and uh, he chased his dream. And now he's a professional dancer in Atlanta. And um, I pitched the idea to him and I said, Look, bro, I need something. I need you to do something for me. He was like, Of course, boo. Like, what, what is it? Like, you know, anything. I'll do anything for you. What's going on? I'm like, Listen. I have an idea for a show opening and I want you to dance the opening number. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I'm like dead serious. And I was like, I know you can, I know you can do this. And I wouldn't have come to you if I didn't think you were capable. So I told him, I said, you know, the idea of this is I wanted to pay respects and give uh, Yvette Lee Latifa of Living Single, they are flowers because the Living Single um, opening sequence is iconic as hell. It is amazing. Everybody knows every word, word for word, and everyone always does the dance that the lady does in the silhouette. You know, it's amazing. And I said, I want to recreate that, but I want to make it for the millennial generation, Generation Z, present day, for adults, but I want it to be sexy. I want it to be a bit provocative, but not too much. But I also want it to tell a story. 
And when I sent him the theme song of the show, um, for one, he was like, holy crap, this theme song is amazing. And the uh, guy that made the theme song is uh, one of my good uh, colleagues. His name is uh, JX on the keys um, out of California. And um, he made the theme song for us. And um, a lot of his music is gonna be featured into the series as well. But um, specifically this one for the opening, uh, he listened to it. I gave him about maybe a month. I said, hey, I gave it to him in November of 2019. And I said, hey, I want you to practice this. Show me something, show me what you got. And I told him we were gonna film this in Atlanta in December before, I wanna say a week before Christmas. And he was in place and everything. And I booked the studio and this was my first time um, actually filming something like this. You know, I'm a found footage horror filmmaker. I've never tapped into theatrical style filming, if that makes sense, or television style filming or anything like that. So this is my first time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I did it. I filmed all of that shit on my fucking iPhone 8 Plus at the time. Oh, wow. Edited all that shit on my editing uh, app on my phone and produced that. And Isaiah did amazing. I think we only did about maybe three takes. And the take, the, the what you saw was his last take. Um, I told him, I said, hey, you know, I know you can dance better than that. I know you can give me more than that, you know? And hell, I treated him like fucking royalty on set. Nobody talks to him, nobody takes pictures with him, nobody, nothing. He's focused, he's VIP, this is for a reason. And um, he looked at me and, you know, he was like, okay, I got you. So I sat down in my director's chair like this, looking at him and <laughs> he made eye contact with me the entire time. And when I tell you, I felt every bit of that motherfucker's energy. I felt the passion. I felt that, I'm not even gonna lie, that shit was kind of turning me on for a bit. And I was like, holy shit, like, okay, hurry up and get through this. But it was, I'm glad it did because that is what I want the audience to feel. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel turned on. I want them to feel like, oh, I feel sexy. Oh, this is amazing. This is nice. And when he made that eye contact with me the entire time doing this dance, it made me feel, I said, he got it. He nailed it. And he did so fucking well. And I hope and pray that Yvette Leap of Living Single who created that show, I hope that she sees that. And I hope that she sees the respects I'm paying to her. And I hope that she loves it because without her show, this opening wouldn't have happened. And that show came out in the 90s. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And uh, I had a quick question for Paolo. Um, you know, something that you and December have in common is uh, music, your love of music. And, you know, with film, with painting, with drawing, with music, the one, like, constant across all of those mediums is just em feeling, emotion. The, the, the purpose of them is to pr provoke a feeling or provoke an emotion. At, at the end of the day, that's what it is. That's what art is. And, you know, both as Paolo and as December, how do you feel that your connection to music really allowed you to dive into this series and kind of, you know, open yourself freely in that way? Because for one, I'm like, I get to show my art. 
outside, <laughs> outside of acting and doing this and them seeing us on a big screen and just seeing like my music be a part of it you know like I really like love doing music so it's just like oh I even text Rico sometimes and be like I'm going to the studio I'm nervous about <laughs> making this song today and he's just like you're gonna kill it go in there and you're gonna kill it but um <laughs> I, I really love doing music and I really love how he and you know like put that in there with that character because I feel like not only do I get that emotional connect for like my passion for it I get to showcase myself in a way through like December like this is me performing this is me doing this you get what I'm saying like it's showing certain aspects of not only December but myself as well so I, I really love it and I'm I'm happy that he did it thank you Awesome. Of course. Awesome. And you know, the, the last question that I'll leave and it's open to the floor for both of you. If there was one thing that you want the audience to take away from Riptides, what is it? That this is not an LGBTQIA show. Mm -hmm. This is a show for everybody. everybody. The main characters, myself and uh, Paulo's character just happened to be a part of the LGBTQI community. And a lot of people get it, get it twisted. They say, oh, well, there's a homosexual character in the beginning. But one, they don't even know the character's sexual orientation. They just see him or her with a guy or a girl and they say, oh, they're automatically gay. You don't know mm -hmm. what they are, you know? But these characters just happen to be um, in the part of the LGBTQI community, but this show is not strictly for LGBTQI people. It's not centered around all LGBTQIA content. You know what I'm saying? This is a show for everyone. You're going to see the you know heterosexual people, black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, mm -hmm. everything. The show is very diverse. It's very inclusive. Um, there's not one thing in this show that causes division because I don't do that. I do everything when, with the idea of inclusiveness and also making sure that I tell a story that can reach two different people regardless of their sexual orientation. Whether you agree with sexual orientation, um, with being uh, gay, bisexual, pansexual, doesn't matter. Whether you agree with it or not, I hope that people find themselves within Bryceland, find themselves within Paolo's character mm -hmm. in December, and find themselves within the rest of the cast as well, too. Yes. Um, it took me a long time to kind of sever, kind of have the, a balance between showing, showcasing the LGBTQ side of things, but also still keeping it for everyone as well. You know what I'm saying? So... I want people to take away some positive things from these characters, like I said, regardless of their sexual orientation. And no, this is not a gay show. This is a drama television series that has something for everyone in every community. Yes. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Dang. I feel like, you know, like when you watch or experience something great and then you're like, man, I need a moment to reset. 
Like, it's just like, I feel that. Just, just from the interview, not even from the episodes, you know? <laughs> so you can only imagine, you know, how amazing the episodes are going to be. And before we go, I do want to say, because you brought up your roots of found footage horror filmmaking, audience, the Ominous Project Universe is Shriko's found footage horror films, and they are awesome. All you got to do is look that up, look him up. You can find links to watch them. Um, you know, POV Horror is one of the places you can find them. Amazing, amazing work. It's a great, great stuff. Thanks, man. Really you were not getting out of here without me plugging the Ominous Project Universe. So <laughs> just letting you know, just letting you know. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. We really, really loved having you guys. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank yes, you. thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. Of Thanks, course. guys. Appreciate you so much, man. I hope to see you guys again very, very, very soon. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you guys so much for checking out that interview. And now we're going to go ahead and go into the main topics of the show. Nick, what do you got for us first? So our first main topic is a culmination of several years and inciting incidents. Yes. Uh, you're familiar with the Flash star, Ezra Miller. I think I've maybe heard of them. Yeah, They have uh, been in the news a lot from their exploits across the United States. Uh, well, they have finally released a statement uh, really? citing that they are seeking treatment for complex mental health issues. Really? Yes. Go ahead and hit me with that statement, if you don't mind. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the statement, uh, this is being pulled from an article from Variety. The statement says, Having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental issues and have begun ongoing treatment, Miller says. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior, and I am committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life. Thank you very much for introducing that topic. Mr. Iricchio, and yes, so ironically, this news came out right after we wrapped filming the last episode in which we were talking about how Warner Brothers has three options for the Flash film and what to do about the Ezra Miller situation. And then in between the recording and the uploading, this happened. So naturally, we wanted to address it in the show. And uh, so my thoughts on this are really kind of blunt. It might be too little too late. Because it seems like Warner Brothers is now going to go with option one, which we thought that they were going to go with option two of just having Ezra Miller not be a part of the promotion, release the film while focusing on other things like Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck and Sasha Kaye and going that route. But it seems like they're now laying the groundwork to have Ezra slowly be a part of the marketing campaign over time as he gets as they get more treatment and run it that way. So, um, what are your thoughts on this? And do you think this is the right move? I think the biggest takeaway from it is that they are seeking help, mm-hmm. which, you know, cause at the end of the day, we talk about the comic book movies. We talk about the movie industry. They're an actual person. Yeah. And to see them, it's not like, Oh, are they going to get the help so we can see flash? It's, are they going to get the help because they need the help, which I think is very important to see that that step is being taken and that they have actually issued a statement and there are things in motion from it when it comes to the flash movie i still don't think that warner brothers is going with option one of having ezra miller on the press tour Mm -hmm. i think that they will still market ezra miller 
we'll see a trailer that features the Flash for the Flash movie. Yeah, you can't not yeah. do that. Yeah. But in terms of having Ezra Miller on a press tour, in terms of having a giant premiere, I still don't think that that is going to be happening. And especially apologies and working toward it aside, I mean, one news story I don't think we're going to talk about, like uh, Jonah Hill mm-hmm. recently said that he's not going to do press for any movies Correct. because of the mental strain and anxiety that it puts on him. Mm-hmm. So now do you even want to put someone who's had complications in the past in a situation that could cause a triggering incident? I, I don't know because like – the Jonah Hill situation, I think, is very different because, you know, it wasn't the promotion that was giving Ezra Miller these mental problems, mm-hmm. whereas Jonah Hill's mental issues or mental um, health issues were kind of directly correlated to the press and promoting. Yeah. With Ezra Miller, it's, you know, th- there's one thing about his statement that bugs me, and that's in the statement he says, I want to apologize to everyone that I've alarmed and upset with my past behavior. He doesn't apologize to anyone that he actually hurt with his past behavior, and he physically hurt people. And it's like, that's a bit, you know, mm-hmm. disingenuous. But I also think as they heal and as they grow, I think that apology is coming. Because I think this apology felt very, if you don't make an apology right now, things are going to go badly. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't from the heart, because this felt like a very PR move. Mm. What I will give Warner Brothers, though, and if they want to pursue option one, is the movie comes out in June of 2023, which in the cycle of the world and people and how forgiving they are on social media, plenty of time. It just depends. I think if we see one more headline of Ezra messing something up, they're done, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, we'll we'll see. I still don't think that they will play The Flash after this movie. I think that they're done. Yeah, I think that they are done with The Flash. And again, I think that a premiere is probably off the table as well as a press tour. But I think that they will be featured in the marketing of the movie in terms of posters and trailers. Because how do you? it's not going to be an extreme thing like where they make it a Batman movie <laughs> and everything like that that I've seen yeah. going around. Th- th- a thousand percent. I agree with you entirely. But what do you guys think about the uh, Ezra Miller apology? And do you think um, Warner Brothers is going to be leaning towards more to option one that we talked about last week? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nick, what do we got next? Next up, we have some exciting news in the world of John Wick, one Ooh. of our favorite action franchises. Indeed. That is wrapped or has a fourth film coming out. Yes. Next year? Yes. Next year, right? Mm-hmm. Well, a while back, we reported that there was going to be a prequel miniseries focusing on the Continental itself. Yes. Uh, that miniseries has gone many changes from being an actual miniseries to now a three-part event. Well, in the latest move, they're actually moving to Peacock from Stars. Really? Yes. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Nicholas. And I believe the studio just announced this news, but I'm going to pull like a little quote from the Hollywood Reporter here. Yeah. The long-justing John Wick prequel miniseries has a new home. The Continental will premiere on Peacock in 2023 as part of a deal with Lionsgate, which produces the film franchise. The NBC Universal streaming service already has the rights to the three John Wick movies, starring Keanu Reeves as their titular assassin. The Continental had previously been set up at the Lionsgate-owned Stars, where it had been in development in previous permutations since 2018. So, first thing first... I'm super happy because I have Peacock and I don't have stars. So now I, <laughs> now I don't have to go through hoops to watch the show, one. 
Uh, two, very interesting that they went this route, considering that Lionsgate makes these movies and stars is owned by them. Um, the fact that they're kind of, you know, licensing an agreement with Peacock is surprising, considering that a lot of streaming deals now don't are leaning away from licensing, and it's all about more their own service and their own original content. You know, the streaming wars, are we're deep into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this making this move, I think, can add some um, quality in terms of Peacock's name. And maybe that's why the deal was made on Peacock's end. And maybe they offered a really nice deal to the people at Stars and Lionsgate to stream it, considering they also have the streaming rights to the John Wick movies. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, like, Stars Plus or, like, Lionsgate Plus. You know, Stars is just, like, ha- I think has an app that has its shows you can watch, but it's not very, you know. Yeah. Like, Ash vs. Evil Dead got canceled because it was on Stars. And, uh, but the the big fascinating thing that you brought up is that it is now also going to be a three-part event. Yeah. Which I'm kind of happy about because it kind of reminds me of, like, Sherlock, how they would have, like, three 90-minute episode seasons. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be something like that. So um, what are your thoughts on it, you know, making the move to the, um, like, three-part event? And what are your thoughts on it being on Peacock? I mean, I think that's great, especially because stars, well, people recognize the name stars. They see the Peacock logo and they're like, ah. And mm-hmm. Peacock's been doing a lot lately to really build out their platform. So they must have made a convincing argument. They pulled up some numbers that said, look how many people are watching this. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great. You know, the more eyes on it, the better. I think it's a great franchise. So the more people that get introduced to it, the better. I do love that it's becoming an event because I mean, even from the first John Wick movie, I was like, I want to know more about the continental. Yes. And they were like, Oh, you do. And then we watched the second one. I was like, I still want to know more about the continental. (laughs) And they're like, Oh yeah. And I was like, we saw the third one. I was like, you know what I want to know? I want more about the Continental. I agree. And it's so funny because I remember seeing John Wick 2. It was me, you, and Ian. And we went and we sat in the second row. It was the first movie that I used my pass as an employee at the theater to watch. And we were in the second row because we couldn't get them until the showtime. And it was an awesome experience seeing it, though. And I just remember when, um, spoiler alert for John Wick 2 that came out in 2017, at the very end of the movie, when they're in the Continental and John Wick shoots uh, the person he's after, I forget if it was you or Ian, but one of you just go, you can't do that. <laughs> and it, was like, it was probably Ian. Just because it was one of the rules of the Continental. Yeah, you can't do that. But just, it was just like that. It was delivered just like that. Like, gunshot to the head, everyone's shocked, and just, I hear, can't do that. That's not <laughs> allowed. So, That's not going to fly. But, like, but just the fact that like that was the first thought goes yeah. to the interest of the Continental that the audience has. Well, also, too, just the fact that when you start the first John Wick movie, you're like, oh, I like Keanu. Yeah. He hasn't done anything much in a while. And the mm-hmm. movie starts, and the first like 30 minutes, you're just kind of like, oh, this is just this is a Keanu Reeves action movie. Yeah. 90 i'll be out in an hour 90 mm-hmm. minutes we'll be good here and then he goes to the hotel with the coin you're like oh, hold on yeah there's more to this world it was almost like very comic booky yeah. feeling like actual comic booky not comic book movie feeling yeah. yeah like they were actually trying to flesh out a world and i was like all right i'm in now cool yeah it was awesome yeah especially seeing that world expanded into the sequels so what do you guys think about peacock getting the john wick prequel three-part event that was originally going to be on stars let us know in the comments as i try not to rant on this next story <laughs> all right next story <laughs> <laughs> um you like saw because we're about to get a whole lot more Saw. Saw has yep. officially announced. I say Saw like it is Jigsaw actually making the announcement. <laughs> There's going to be a new Saw movie in 2023, which is 
going to be the 10th movie in the franchise, including mm-hmm. uh, the ninth installment, Jigsaw, or uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw. They are counting that as mm-hmm. part of it. So yep. this will be the 10th movie in the Saw franchise. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? <laughs> okay, I need, I need to take you guys on a little journey of me with the Saw films. First thing first, I got to say, I love the original Saw movie. I think the original Saw movie is fantastic. It's low budget. You can tell how low budget it is. It's just a bunch of kids who wanted to make mm-hmm. a movie, and they crushed it. The twist ending is awesome. James Wan, Lee Wanell, two people we love and adore. It's great. You big James Wan guy? B- maybe. There's, <laughs> not, there's not a malignant poster behind me. But uh, it's great. The second film, not so great. Very great ending, I will say. Because like each one has to have like a reveal. The ending in Saw 2 was pretty good. Saw 3, I've watched. I, rem- I can tell you where I was when I watched it. Mm-hmm. I remember nothing. Except also how it ends. Mm-hmm. Saw 4, I also watched. I remember like two things. And then I stopped. I stopped watching after Saw 4 because I was so disappointed by what I was seeing. I heard Saw 5 wasn't very good. I heard Saw 6 was okay. Mm -hmm. I still didn't watch it. Heard the next one sucked and the next one. And then I decided, you know, because right before the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of advertisements for movies that eventually would come. And one of those movies was a movie called Spiral starring Chris Rock. And I was like, you know what? I really like Chris Rock. He doesn't do drama very often or like non-comedy very often. I'm going to I'm going to check out Spiral because they were kind of doing it as like a oh it's separate from like the main Saw franchise it's like a spin-off. Yeah. So I'm like cuz I didn't want to watch like 5 6 7 8. And I'm like, "You know what? Chris Rock and Sam Jackson." Correct. Yeah. And I was like, "You know what? I'm going to go I'm going to go watch this Spiral movie." I very often do not ch- if I don't like something, I just don't talk about it on the yeah. show. Like I very rarely will I review because like that's kind of the reason. One of the reasons why I stopped doing movie reviews is uh-huh. because I while I like the conversation about disliking a movie, putting it on the internet, especially as someone who's an independent filmmaker, it's hard to do that without coming across as like shitty. Because mm-hmm. making movies is one of the hardest things in the universe to do. That is one of the worst movies I've ever fucking seen <laughs> in my entire life. I hate. I've only given out Fs because you know I grade movies. Yeah. I gave out an F in 2016 and I didn't give out another one until Spiral. What was the and 2016 F? Do you the remember? Purge 3. Mm. I, I made me not watch the other Purge movies. But Fair. like it's... I... And I know that you think differently on Spiral which fucking blows my mind because it's literally one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. But it's... <laughs> we'll get to me. Yeah, but... But also, I think one of the reasons for that is they kept the same director as some of the other Saw sequels. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Darren something. I could be wrong. Okay. But that director was doing Saw sequels, and they're like, we're going to revitalize Saw. Let's get the guy who directs other Saw. And it's like, no. <laughs> That's let's not, how you not do, do that. that. Yeah. And it was so... I'm not going to go into it, because making movies is hard. I've never met Darren. I'm sure they're fantastic. Yeah. Not a fan of his, their work on Saw. So, with all that being said, we have a Saw 10. And it's not Saw X, what's the fucking point, first of all. But secondly, Saw 10. I'm going to watch it. 
Mm-hmm. I might even watch the others just to fucking do it. Just mm-hmm. to fucking do just it. Just to say you watched them all. Yeah. Yeah. It's being directed by the guy who directed Saw 6, who I was told, hey, that one's not bad. <laughs> so that kind of gives me some hope, but I still don't understand why they keep dipping back to the well. Okay, here's the fucking thing that upsets me about yeah. the goddamn Saw sequels. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, right? I won't give away major spoilers, but I'll, you know, you have to have a vague remblance of the Saw movies to understand yeah. my rant. Do not let the first Saw movie get ruined for you. The twist is incredible. First Saw movie. You find out that the person behind it all takes out people who he deems doesn't value their life and are doing bad things with their life. And since he's dying of a disease, he's going to take it out on people who don't don't value their life and don't deserve their life. Mm-hmm. That person is a psychopath. And the people he picked are someone who cheated on their wife and someone who is a private investigator. Both things that are bad, but you don't deserve to be murdered for them. And a drug addict as well, but that Amanda survived. Drug addict, not a reason to be murdered, right? The Saw sequels all act like he's like the Punisher and that they're like, oh, but he's killing bad people. Give me a fucking break. The dude, like, like it, but it totally like removes how the first movie was brilliant because he was justifying his own psychopathic tendencies. And you could really explore that and be really interesting in the Saw sequels. But no, they decided, let's try to make the audience kind of understand, like, oh, he is only killing bad people. Now, granted, the movies never took his side, per se, yeah. and made him the protagonist, rather, you know, because he, he manipulated other people. But the fact that that fundamental thing of just, like, no one was there to be like, no, what you're doing is absolutely murder and insane. Like, you are in, in, an insane person. Yeah. Like, that never happened. And it bugs me about every single Saw movie. And then, okay, I'm going to spoil the end of Spiral because it is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever experienced in my life. In my life. At the end of Spiral. Because, like, you can't do the thing of it's Jigsaw because it's not Jigsaw doing the murders. You find out, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, that it's his partner. Which... For the record, clocked it immediately. But here's the thing. A movie being predictable, people always say when a movie's bad that it was predictable. Predictability has nothing to do with a movie being good or bad. If you guessed it, you guessed it. It's the reveal. How mm-hmm. you get there. Horrible job at how they got there. And then, and then, he's doing this his whole speech. They're playing the Saul theme, which is the only good thing the movie does. And then they, And then Chris Rock says, but you're not Jigsaw. Do you want to know what the character's actual line... Re- I've never forgotten it. His know, actual <laughs> his actual line response was to that question. That's the game. That's his last line of the film. Chris Rock, but you're not Jigsaw. This guy, that's the game. That makes no fucking sense. The whole movie <laughs> is ridiculous. It's actually insane <laughs> how bad it is you meet chris rock's wife once you never see her again she's never mentioned again it was like it was a reshoot like oh wait we need to make him an actual person it was it's dumbfounding how i'm so sorry how bad the film is but am i excited about saw 10 no will i see it maybe you know the one thing that gives me joy in all this I'm pretty sure in the contracts of Lee Wan-El and James Wan, every time they make a Saw movie, they get paid. And so that makes me happy. So keep keep them going. Give, <laughs> give my boy some money. Love it. 
But yeah, was... un- unless we see one day, like, <laughs> James Wan and Lily Wanell are coming back. Because I know he did story work on some of the sequels. Yeah. But, like, <sighs> that's it. Ball, ball in your court. Honestly, that might be top five rants we've had on the show. I fucking... That was beautiful. Uh, just make good Saw movies again. So I have a very different relationship with the Saw movies. I've seen the first Saw, mm-hmm. and I've seen Spiral. <laughs> and I liked them both. <laughs> now, granted, I like one a lot more than the other. Yeah. You know, the first Saw was just fine, I guess. Okay. Uh, um, I was about to throw this remote No, listen, I, I saw Spiral... Mm-hmm. I may have had some liquid courage in my body, and I had a great time watching it. You and know, you know what I would love to do. Like, I'm so serious. Like, let's do it for the channel. Rewatch it. No, but 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 to be fair, if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna rewatch something that I fucking can't stand, yeah, I will do the same for you and Kyler. Like, for example, because Kyler likes Spiral too. Yeah, let's all the three of us rewatch spiral and then i get to pick a movie that each of you just hate mm-hmm. and i know what i'm picking we're watching the invisible man <laughs> so we're gonna rewatch <laughs> the invisible man and spiral and see if one of us was smoking crack maybe i come out of the second screening of spiral <laughs> and i'm like wow it's not so bad well, make it fine we're not gonna do this obviously mm-hmm. but if funny <laughs> Kyler and I had to watch Spiral Sober, mm-hmm. and you had to have like three drinks, drinks. and just see <laughs> see how we each react to it. Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> no, but I I think that'd be interesting to see. But I would I love mean, to do that. I listen. I I enjoyed it. I I'll liked... make everyone watch Annihilation again. I'll fucking do it. I, I love that movie. I do unapologetically. Kyler likes it. I thought he didn't. No, he told me he didn't. He told me that he feels the same way about it as he does Uncut Gems in that he really liked the movie. He never wants to watch it again because it, it gave him a headache. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. I thought he was in my boat where I just flat out hate the movie. I remember. Well, maybe he watched it again or something. Because, oh, maybe, yeah. Because I, when we first saw it, he did not enjoy it. Yeah. The, the funny thing with him, I remember there's only a few movies where his immediate reaction and then like 30 minutes later, he slowly is like, you know what? That was extreme. <laughs> like I remember when we watched Dune, the moment the credits rolled, he was like, that movie sucked. And then like half an hour later, he was like, hey, it, was, it was all right. Like, <laughs> like he was just like, yeah, whatever. But like just the immediate. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, I th- listen, I'm, I'll see it. Same. I've seen two movies and I've enjoyed them. Yeah. So what do you guys think about <laughs> Saw 10 happening? And do you share my opinion on the movie Spiral? Put your Saw rankings in the comments yeah, below. Yeah, do it. Rank all 10. We want to know. Leave them in the comments as we move on to our next story. What do we got next, bro? Uh, our next story comes from the uh, World of the Hunger Games. Ooh. They're uh, making the prequel movie based off of the president. President Snow. The president Snow. That's yes. the, He's the main focus of the movie. Um, nothing crazy on this one, just them rounding out their cast a little more. Uh, but what a way to round it out. They have cast Viola Davis as, uh, the villain of the movie. She will play Dr. Volumnia Gowl, the head game maker of the 10th annual Hunger Games. Okay. Very, very cool. Thank you for letting us know of that. And listen, we've said it on the show several times. Never a bad idea to add talent. Viola Davis fucking rules. 
And, you know, I haven't, this is the only Hunger Games book I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Probably not, just because, you know, <sighs> reading is hard. And, you know, time. Time is a difficult thing to manage. And so I don't know if I'll be able to reading it. I'll definitely see the movie. Um, I am a lot more interested in the movie now. I kind of was just like, ah, I'll see it yeah. because it's like, we'll go. But like Viola Davis playing the villain, I'm a lot more interested now. Yeah, that, that One, help, fences. What, the, every time Viola Davis is there, it's just yeah. a better movie. Yeah, like the 2016 theatrical cut of Suicide Squad was only watchable because of her, Will Smith, and Margot Robbie mm-hmm. and Jai Courtney. And she's fantastic in the new one. Oh yeah, like, no, but like no, she, but like everything she's in, she, she kills so it. So pumped for is it the Woman King? Yes, dude, that movie looks awesome. Yeah. It looks awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, I I can't really give into like the oh it's gonna be great for the character because I haven't read the book. Yeah, but like I think it's great. I mean, if just I pulled up uh, just the IMDb to look, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not familiar with the guy playing the young Snow, Tom Blythe. Yeah. But, I mean, you have Hunter Schaefer, who's huge from Euphoria. You have Viola Davis now. You have Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. who's always great. Um, you have Rachel Zegler now, who's just in everything. Yes, and her, crushing it. Her agent is <laughs> oh, insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah, killing it. <laughs> uh, and Jason Schwartzman, who I love. <laughs> yes. So, like, you have a great cast, so make a good movie. Yeah. Uh, we can only hope, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You look nice today. You do too. We're matching shirts again. I know this shit's got to stop. This isn't an exact shade, but it's, it's not an exact close. blue. But like, I could color grade it and make it the exact same. Yeah, I'm not that good of a color grader though. <laughs> so, what do you guys think about Viola Davis joining the Hunger Games prequel film? Let us know in the comments below as we move on to our next story. Nick, what we got? Our next story is a very interesting one in the uh, world of just industry news. Moving out of uh, like just kind of movie news. Lovely. Um, Regal Cinema's owner, Cineworld, which is a European country. Uh, yeah, I, I think Canada. No, no, it's Europe. It's Europe. Europe. Yep, yep. Is evaluating, quote, strategic options as admissions fall, quote, below expectations due to, quote, a limited film slate. And there's even rumors that they're going to file for bankruptcy, file bankruptcy, right? bankruptcy, yeah. So this is uh, huge considering, I don't know about the rest of the... Uh, country but speaking as a floridian there's amc or there's regal yeah with the occasional cinemark sprinkled throughout so the fact that regal might just be off the board is wild to me i hope cinemark's next (laughs) (laughs) no but uh in all seriousness um so here's what needs to be pointed out regal's not going anywhere you know, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy that they're allegedly going to file. I've seen some reports backtrack on mm-hmm. that initial reporting. Um, it basically just puts protections in to let get, to give them more time to pay, get out of their debts. Basically, the question is, can we make it to Black Panther? <laughs> because that and Avatar are going to yeah. bring in the cash. Basically, what happened is people were going to the movies. They saw Spider-Man. They saw Top Gun. They were seeing a lot of movies this year. And then there's we're in the drought. We're in the summer to fall drought before we get some of the more Oscar contender films. And movie theaters were really dumb. I'm going to say they were dumb and they were overspending and not thinking about what was going on. It's so shocking to me that the people that run theaters, like, I, I'm only going to speak for Cinemark here because I used to work for them. Mm-hmm. On the corporate level, they are so dumb. Like, <laughs> like it's it's unbelievable. Because what, well what I will say, what a lot of people don't know about movie theaters is they're constantly on the verge of being in the red and being in the black. Like, they ride that line. Like, they, they don't bring in money like people kind of think they do. Yeah. 
because they mostly make their money off of the food sales. A lot of the portion of the box office goes back to the distribution companies. And there's a lot of repairs and stuff that they have to do. And they have to incentivize people more by getting nicer seats, dine-in service, you know, that's not cheap. And with that, though, you'd think you'd be more fiscally responsible on how you spend your money. Now, granted, COVID is why we're even talking about this. Yeah. For sure. But both Regal and AMC laid off everybody and Cinemark did too but like I know Regal and AMC like gave their corporate people bonuses and it's like maybe there would have been a place you could have saved some fucking money is by not doing that shit but you know it's it's a whole mess and you know on the industry side the current CEO of I'm gonna go to Cinemark current CEO of Cinemark's name is Sean Gamble and this person I know I don't know I've never met them but when I was working there a couple years ago on the corporate level, people would say, oh, Sean, like, you knew Sean Gamble's name, and everyone, and the consensus was, oh, Sean Gamble should be the CEO. Mm-hmm. He's now the CEO. So apparently, they're on the right, Cinemark's going to eventually long-term be on the right track, but I have some people, some friends who still work at the theater who've been telling me that it's rough, like, mm-hmm. money-wise. Like, I know, and um, at, some of, at some of the locations around, not all of them, but at some of the locations, they've shut their kitchens down during the week, and they only open them on weekends. Oh, wow. Just to save, co- like, it's, they're really it's cutting costs. Bad. Yeah, they're... and I know at Regal, um, a lot of the times they took out their AC repair budget, so that if AC went out in the theater, it was just broken, like mm. just because you know the contracts and saving on that was just not working. Yeah, and so you know it's it's really a shame. And, and I'll say the only reason AMC, who I love, the only reason they're not in this trouble is because of the, the meme stock, which. By the way, they're making a movie about mostly related to GameStop and AMC, but I cannot wait to watch that movie. But, you know, this happening, I wouldn't say don't panic yet. Regal's going to be fine, especially as the end of the year comes by. Yeah. It's just, but it it was kind of just a wake-up call to the other theater chains of like, okay, one, it's not just us, and two, we need to be more careful so we don't end up in the same situation. So uh, what are your thoughts on this whole thing going on with Cineworld and Regal? I mean, I think the thing that's really... It's not bothering me, but like the thing that's sticking out to me is blaming a limited film slate. Yeah, the the summer to fall gap that we're in now has always been mm-hmm. dry. Yeah. So to to blame that seems like I don't know. Trying to toss it to the companies, the distribution, the film, and it's like I I don't know that that's bugging me a bit. Well, you know, it's, I see why you're bugged, but you know, like as the movie, you know, why aren't you guys doing well? There's no movies. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, but 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 there always hasn't been movies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more the circumstances around COVID, the pandemic, everything around it. Mm -hmm. Fair. The stock sharp fell falling sharply. Yeah. Fair. AMC would probably still be in the same thing if they didn't get memed, like you said. Yeah. So... I think they'll be fine. I feel like this is just kind of reporting on a general swell of a business. Yeah. You know, it seems routine. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be lower here than then. So I don't know. I don't have much to add to it besides that. Yeah. And, you know, personal feelings aside, because Regal's of the viewing experience, Regal's my least favorite of mm-hmm. the three big ones. But, you know, I, I don't want to see any company fail. You know, yeah. Like, I, I hope they bounce back. I, Plus, that means more people just go to the AMC. Do we really want that? <laughs> no, we want less people there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want AMC to succeed. But, Selfishly, um, I want less people at the theater when yes, I go. of course, of course. Same, same. But, yeah, no, I, I really hope they bounce back, and I really hope that Cinemark um, gets worse. What do you guys think about this whole situation? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story.
Uh, this is our final story as well. Yes, and I and I also want to clarify for legal purposes: everything I say about Cinemark negatively is a joke. <laughs> Way to cover. We have some audio listeners. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> yep. Um, our last story uh comes from us from a follow up from a news story from uh, nineteen seventy three. Oh, yes. Are you familiar with the movie The Godfather? Vaguely. Vaguely. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Um. So Marlon Brando mm-hmm. was nominated for an Oscar, mm-hmm. to which he won said Oscar. Mm-hmm. He did not go up to accept the Oscar. Uh, instead, a Native American woman by the name of Sashin Littlefeather went up on stage and gave a speech. She was an activist about the discrimination and the treatment of Native American and their culture. And she was booed. She was mistreated. She was abused by the media, the industry. Uh, The Academy has officially released an apology for the treatment. Almost 50 years later. 50 years later. I mean, that's all it took. Yeah. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, we wanted to point this out on the show just because, you know, speaking of too little too late earlier in the show, um... I guess this is also a situation of better late than never, however. Um, you know, the Academy has officially apologized to Sashin Littlefeather for the mistreatment at the 73 Oscars. And, you know, to point out, it's not like she rushed the stage. It's not like she was doing anything crazy. Marlon Brando sent her as her as his representative and said, don't touch the Oscar, don't accept the Oscar, go up and give this speech. Yeah. And she did. And like the article points out, she was treated horrifically because of it. And, you know, it was really to kind of shed light on how Native Americans were being treated in Hollywood at the time. You know, it was very satirical. You had people of different ethnicities playing Native Americans and doing it very stereotypically. You know, there's, you know, all throughout film history, not just in the 70s. And so, you know, obviously times have changed and now the light has been shed of like, that was a really shitty thing to not protect her and not, you know, speak out for her during that time. So they have officially released their apology. And I wanted to cover it on the show just because, you know, I think it's important to you know, bring these things up and, you know, see them happen. And, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of the Academy for apologizing. It did take way too fucking long. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm also just glad that, you know, we can all collectively look back at that and go, oof, that was not Hollywood's best moment. Uh, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, again, kind of just too little, too late. I, But an apology is an apology. And yeah. it looks like there will be a event on September 17th at the Academy Museum honoring Littlefeather. Oh, wow. That's really nice. Yeah. So the statement of apology will be read in full at the September 17th Academy Museum event honoring Littlefeather, who will participate in a conversation with producer Bird Running Water, co-chair of the Academy's Indigenous Alliance. Wow. That's, so they're that's making awesome. a whole event out of it. That's and great. it'll be free to the public via online reservations. Oh, snap. As well. So, yeah, it's like a nice little That's amazing. event. So I'm glad that they're doing that. I'm glad. I'm glad to see that they have a co-chair and a chair for the an indigenous alliance with the academy. Yeah. So, it seems like they are trying to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Trying and, to correct that mistake. And trying to correct that mistake. So, yeah. that that's nice to see. It's nice to see that the apology is not just empty words. Exactly. That there's actual stuff to it. Yes. So, that's good. And... Yeah, again, I think it was brave at the time, mm-hmm. especially for her to go up and do that. And yeah. for Marlon Brando to also 
be an advocate for that yeah. during and, that time. And the crazy thing about that is Marlon Brando is like not known for being like a nice dude. Yeah. You know, like he, he's actually, there are many people who disliked him and disliked working with him. So, you know, even those kind of people do good things. I also, guess. according to the article, mm-hmm. she had 60 seconds. So her speech was basically improvised because she was not able to read the eight pages that Marlon Brando had wrote. Oh my god. Marlon Brando wrote eight pages. Good lord. To tell Hollywood to fuck themselves. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So that's and it says that uh, the, the two instructions were not to touch the statuette mm-hmm. which were Marlon Brando's instructions directly mm-hmm. and to keep her comments under 60 seconds which were an order from the show producer who told her minutes before that if she went a second over security was on set to arrest her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, that's insanity. Absolute insanity. And then there's plenty of atrocities that happen at the Academy Awards that you can go back and look at. Yeah. Like uh, the actress who won, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name, the one who won for Gone with the Wind, the first African-American actress to win Best Supporting Actress, like was sat segregated and I'm pretty sure was escorted out after she won. Like it's crazy. Really? Yeah. Like oh, it's wow. nuts. But uh, but yeah. Um, what do you guys think about the Academy finally apologizing after that incident? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our final thing today, which is... The box office. The box office. You know we were not forgetting about the box office. Come on. Come on. Get out of here with that. And this particular box office week, um, holy shit, is it fucking gnarly. Did things get nutty? They got nutty, Nicholas. Guess what opened number one? You know what? We're going to go backwards. Backwards? We're going to go start at five. Okay, five. Coming in at five was DC's League of Super Pets. Oh, wow. Making another $5.7 million. Coming in at four, Top Gun Maverick, remaining in the top five, now has $1.4 billion worldwide and domestically has made over, let me get the exact number for you. Domestically has made $683 million and has surpassed Avengers Infinity War as the number six domestic all-time release. Mm -hmm. And worldwide, it's in the top 20? Top 10, maybe 20. I don't know. I shouldn't have brought up the worldwide uh, it, stats. It's number six domestic, five no, domestic. Number six domestic. Six domestically. Or, yeah, number six domestic. Yeah. Coming in number three was Bullet Train, dropping only 40% from week two to week three, bringing in another $8 million. That's good. Coming in number two was Beast at $11.5 million. Opening number one with $20 million, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Wow. Good yeah. for Dragon Ball. The anime That's awesome. I say good for them like they're not the yeah. one of the biggest anime. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. An, the oh, anime community it, yeah. came out and crushed it. And I will say from working at a movie theater, mm-hmm. there was no more pleasant opening weekend experience than the anime films cuz it's just a group of people who are like I'm so thrilled that you're playing the thing I like in the theater. They always those theaters always cleaned up their trash. They were always treated with respect and they always got food. Like it was like Whenever there was an anime movie, big anime movie coming yeah. out, it was like, oh, it was like, thank God. It's the ideal situation. Great customers. Great customers. We're going to make a Great lot of time. money and yeah. they always clean up their stuff. Like it was just like the perfect night whenever an anime film opened up and mm-hmm. it was great. And I'm glad that they've won. They've won. That's t- incredible. Today. That's now, awesome. I also want to remind people, these are the Sunday estimates. Um, when we post the show Tuesday morning, I will leave the final numbers that came out on Monday in the description below. And I don't think there's going to be any changes in this the top like five. A, this seemed like a pretty big gap when you were reading the numbers. Like, I don't think anything's going to yeah, so sneak in. Yeah, it's it's pretty, yeah, it's not going to, you know, nothing's going to 
go crazy, but I do want to say dropping out of the top five, Thor, Love, and Thunder, and Nope, mm-hmm. and Minions. So. Yeah, the top five of, like, the top five that have been constantly there. By the way, so, just yeah. while we're on the box office, I want to point something out. Yeah. Jurassic World Dominion goes to Peacock soon, and they're releasing an extended edition, which I'm going to buy just because of Colin Trevorrow's tweets. <laughs> that man tweeted, friends don't let friends watch the theatrical cut, and I was like, fuck. This I have is the to. director of the movie, yes. for, for clarification. Yes, I'm yeah. like, fuck, I have to get the movie now. <laughs> There's no way that the extended version is, like, good, but, like, I have to after that. Are Was you kidding like, me? Probably like, did they say how long? 15 more minutes. 15. Oh, that's a, yeah. good, that's a good chunk of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But I wonder if anything's going to be removed or I know that one of them is like the and the opening is different. Mm-hmm. I do know that. And then there's some other stuff too. But I will watch it. But anyway, the reason why I bring up Jurassic World Dominion, guess it's worldwide total, even though it's coming on 4K and um, streaming. Soon. I know it was close to a billion, right? It was in the 900s. I don't know if it was just shy of the 950 or if it passed it. 985. That's close. Passed up Doctor Strange. Wow. This close, man. People like their dinosaurs, man. They do. Did the, the first two movies make a billion? They did. That, that kind of sucks. Dude, That'd no, be no, cool. People, I mean, I said they made so much money, but like... <laughs> people forget when Jurassic World 1 yeah. opened, it broke the record for biggest opening weekend of all time. Yeah. And then Star Wars beat it six months later. But like, that was like that was unexpected. People expected Star Wars to break it. Jurassic World breaking it was like out of nowhere. What? Yeah. yeah. And we went. We were talking earlier about just like domestic worldwide records. What's the number one domestic only movie of all time? Domestic only. Mm-hmm. You are going to be surprised by the answer, and I'm going to pull up the exact number. I'm going to go Avatar. Avatar Domestic? Okay. Yeah. Let me, uh, my internet here. Okay. The number one domestic movie of all time is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, wow. Guess how much it made just domestically? Hmm. $936 million. It made almost a billion. It made almost a billion just Just in the United States. That is absolutely crazy. People saw that many a time. Many a time. Many a the time. The hype. I mean, you remember the hype. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was no, crazy. It was insane. And then worldwide, it made $1.1 billion. You could remove the domestic box office and just say it made $1.1 billion and that movie is a success. Its total box... that I, The international box office was that. The total worldwide box office was $2 billion and $64 million. Printed money. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Then we got Avatar 2 coming out. We got Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars coming out in 2025. What's going on? Here's a question. What's going to make more money? Black Panther 2 or Avatar 2? Ooh. Because, dude, after that trailer, Black Panther's making sh money. <laughs> I think Black Panther has it. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I want to pull up some stats, too. And I'll tell you why. Black Panther will make more money than Avatar. Because Avatar is, while it looks great, and I'm sure it will be great because James Cameron, it's so long mm-hmm. that are people going to be excited for it? Here's what I'll say. People are intrigued by Black Panther. Mm-hmm. People love Black Panther. And there's a morbid curiosity behind Black Panther of like, yeah. what did they do with this movie? 
And I want to say, domestically, Black Panther made $700 million, yeah. which is only a club that a few movies have. Worldwide, it made $1.3 billion. Avatar is the biggest movie of all time, right? I don't think Avatar 2 is coming close to that. I think it might get around the billion-dollar mark mm-hmm. worldwide. But yeah. I think Black Panther might make even more money domestically, Black Panther 2, than the first one. And the first one made $700 million. I think what's going to happen is I think Black Panther 2 is going to just skyrocket really quickly. I think Avatar 2 is going to have legs. I agree with you. Because I think... Because if if that, that's what happened to the first Avatar. Because if Avatar 2 is good, people are going to be like, yeah, but I mean, that was like 10 years ago. I'm not interested in a sequel. People are going to come out and be like, no, this was good. Or this was bad. I say it has legs on the off chance. It's, you know, that's pending good. You brought up legs yeah. for Avatar. Here is some legs for you. Mm-hmm. Why well, I just want to point out, domestically, it made 760. Yeah. And then worldwide, you know, 2.845, you know, biggest of all time. You want to talk about legs. Guess what it made in its opening weekend. Hmm. Just guess. Yeah. Opening weekend. Opening weekend. 10 million. 10 million? 10 million. Made 77. <laughs> I was just going to go off of maybe people didn't like it or didn't know what to expect. No, but like, but that opening week, you went low, but that opening weekend number is insane. It's good. Yeah. But it's not the biggest movie of all time, you know, like, yeah, which it is. Yeah. And it's absolutely insanity. Like it's crazy. And the legs on that movie, word of mouth works, were nuts, dude. Like here, let me see if I can pull up the um, weeks in which it made money. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first weekend, ready for this shit? Yeah. This is fucking crazy. The first weekend, it made $77 million. Guess how much it made the second weekend? A hundred. No. 75. <laughs> then it made 68. Then it made 50. Then it made 42. Then it made 34. Then 31. Then 22. Then 23. Then 16. Domestically. That's <laughs> crazy. That's wild. And so I think I'm agree with you that that second one will probably do a similar yep. path, but Ava, but Black Panther will shoot up. But we we will agree that in our predictions that Black Panther will make more money than Avatar. I think so. Does Black Panther make more money than Top Gun? No. I agree with you. Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun's still making like Top Gun is just insane what they've been doing I think with that. Black Panther has the potential to make more than Top Gun. Yeah. But with other countries, it, the Black Panther movie, the first one didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. But I will say, the world was also a different place worldwide when the first Black Panther movie came out compared to what the juggernaut that Marvel is now. Yeah. We'll see. Who's to say? Who's yeah. to say? But uh, yeah, but I, it's funny because I think um, China is a huge market for movies. Yeah. They're not going to care about Black Panther because they did not care about the first one. They will care about Avatar. They will care very much. And for that Avatar. that's going to be the big worldwide debate. Yeah, there is China. But anyways, so to conclude the show, uh, we kind of wanted to do it in a section where we talk about a movie that we saw the previous week. And while we didn't see a new release uh, that we normally do, just because we've been really busy working on Quiver and movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we also just wanted to talk about something. And what we did watch recently is we watched the new Hulu original film, Prey, the Predator, the latest entry in the Predator franchise. And we kind of wanted to give our thoughts and opinions on it. Nick, I'm going to let you go first. Thoughts on 
Prey. I loved it. That movie was great. There's this discourse going around online, which I don't care for, where people say it is the best Predator movie since the original. (laughs) I'm going to shut that shit down right now. Because 2015's The Predator, 2018's The Predator, directed by Shane Black, is a cinematic masterpiece. (laughs) There are approximately three people that like that movie, (laughs) and all three of them are movie nights. It's myself, (laughs) Kyler, and Dalton. So listen. (laughs) One of the few times we agree is Shane But listen, here's the the thing. I understand entirely why Prey went to Hulu, because... No Predator movie has made money at the box office. So it makes sense. The fact that I didn't get to see Prey in a theater saddens me. It, You can tell it. they gave him a very tight budget. But man, they gave you a tight story. And everything about it was just executed so wonderfully, I thought. with the, yeah. It's a Predator on his first trip to Earth. Maybe. Maybe. Potentially. Who's got to go fight a Comanche warrior. And they just duke it out. Yeah. And I also like the films it was able to... By the way, I agree with all your sentiments. I think think it's a fantastic film. And I I really liked the... um, the use of them speaking Comanche and then turning it into English, but it's re- yes. but it's recognized that like they're speaking Comanche, and I would it would have been cool to see them film it in the Comanche language. I know they've gone back and they've redubbed it in Comanche that you can watch. Yeah, but I, I like watching films how they were shot, and since it was shot in English, I prefer that version. Well, the thing is too, there wasn't that much dialogue no. to begin with, and yeah. you know, one for a Hulu like I think it's like a thirty million dollar Hulu movie, something like that. Maybe no, 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 no. Actually, it's more. I think it's like eighty. It looked fine. Like, it looked yeah, good. You, some, you you can tell that it wasn't, like, intended for theatrical release. Some of the animals... Some of the animal CGI was a bit were off. Were a little wonky, but the Predator... The Predator looked great. Awesome. Lot, lot, mostly practical, I yes, think, too, right? Yes, yeah. and the practical effects look great. Go, go practical. Yes. Awesome kills. Some of the best of the franchise. The You really buy the characters, you buy their motivation, and you really, you know, there's a family dynamic yeah. that you that you buy into, and you're in. Oh, and the dog. The dog was awesome. The dog is awesome and was a, a rescue, shelter a shelter dog. dog, a rescue. It was not a trained Amazing. Uh, actor, so that was great to Incredible. see some representation, adopt own shop. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it was just good. No, I, I Dan Trachtenberg's a great director. I listen, love Ten Cloverfield I know Lane. Yeah, this is he is a great filmmaker, yeah. and this is a meme now of like let's drop the Predator and like I know the famous one on TikTok right now is let's put him in like Samurai Japan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I but like do this with every franchise. You know, what I want to see I want to see a Final Destination movie that takes place in the 1600s on pirate ships. That's what I want to see. Like, let's go. Like, let's do this with. I hope. I hope. Of all the things that became trends in Hollywood, yeah. God, I hope this becomes a trend with horror franchises. Where they just start picking random things in it. Yes. Well, that's what we've been saying about the Evil Dead for years, too. Yeah. Like, oh, dude. Evil Old Dead, school Evil want. Dead yeah. would be so sick. I mean, Army of Darkness, but yeah. put them in a different spot. But yeah, yeah no, I think it was something that breathed. Breathed. It breathed new life into the franchise, which mm. was exciting to see. And it was a simple story, and people have been responding very positively to it. So it goes to show if you have a good script, a good filmmaker, you could do things very well. 
Just for the memes. Yeah. Do you want to know the Rotten Tomato score for The Predator? The Shane Black's The Predator? Yeah. They're tied, audience and critics. At 33. <laughs> Incorrect. Incorrect. It's so good. <laughs> but uh, uh, going back to, to Prey, though, mm-hmm. it was just... I hope that the next Predator yeah. movie is in theaters because of how good it was. Yeah. And I hope they give it to Dan Trackenberg. There were also some wonderful callbacks. To other films in the Predator which franchise. I guess would be a call forward. Yeah. There which, was some great world building. Yeah, and we won't spoil it. it. Yeah, we won't spoil it, but there's some wonderful stuff Surprising. in it. Surprising. Like, yeah. oh. Like yeah. some that Dalton had to point out to me, and I was like, yeah. oh, well, that's just rad that that's in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was just a good, good time altogether. Yeah. Awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed Prey. I would definitely recommend you to check it out. Oh, I, yes. I don't think we're going to do ratings in this in this segment. Probably not. Because we, we scale differently, yes, too. Yes, yes. And also, what I think we should be, do, mm-hmm. and I'm going to steal this. I'm stealing this directly from Dan Merle, because <laughs> I watch, I love his channel. Especially, if you love Box Office, oh my God, you got to watch. Mm-hmm. If you like us talking about the Box Office, you got to watch The King. You got to watch Dan Merle talk about the Box Office. But... What he does in his reviews is he either he goes, I recommend it or I don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's that's a good line. I recommend it. I recommend it as well. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the only really issues I have with the movie is that some of it did feel kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. And um, the pacing in the beginning was a bit like I was like, all right. You know, I mean, yes, it establishes and it builds, but part of it was like, okay, I could really, I could really um, use something happening right now. Mm-hmm. But you know, other than that, amazing, love the film. Yeah, and I think it's really all we had planned for the show today, bro. I think so too. It's a good one. Thanks for tuning in for the long episode. Thanks for tuning in for the long stories. Thank you for watching the interview. And um, as for the interview, I'm gonna put links to the social media accounts for Riptides and for the two amazing gentlemen that we interviewed, Shariko and Paolo. And, um, you know, please check out the description. Please check out those pages and eventually check out the series. Uh, Thank you guys so much for watching and we'll see you next time.